podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. We've got podcasts and series on all sorts of subjects. We've got series on mental health, mental health and sport, conspiracy theories, film, TV, football, wrestling, serial killers, music, and a whole lot more. We release three shows a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, with the Wednesday show being the Andy Campbell Championship show with former Premier League striker Andy Campbell and myself breaking down the results and the news from the Skybet Championship every week. Plus, Andy answers your questions. You can send those questions and give us a follow whilst you're there by going to Twitter at AceCast underscore nation or Facebook.com slash AceCast nation. All our shows are available in video format at YouTube.com slash nation or audio download, all the usual platforms, captures, and apps. Uh, so I've been looking forward to speaking to my guest today since I messaged him at the start of the week. Uh, I've always, as I always enjoy the shows where we talk about all sorts of different things and go off on wild tangents. So uh, you may Pun know intended. My... Pun yeah. intended. And uh, you, uh, you may know my guest as a referee in UK wrestling promotions, or you may have seen him in wrestling promotions, Rev Pro, Progress, and many others. He's also a level eight football referee. I'm uh, very pleased to welcome Aaron Wilde to the show. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for coming on, mate. Hey, no worries. It's fine. I'm very happy to do stuff like this, like you said. Um, I, I think it sort of epitomizes me very well where you go off on a tangent about this, that, and the other, um, as we did before we even started recording this. So, like, yeah. I, I'm 100% in agreement with that. <laughs> Yeah, we could have just done a podcast before the podcast. Yeah, no. Uh, well, you know, what's with WWE? Maybe you could do pre-show podcasts, stream that content, yeah, you know, for that maximum, like, hashtag thing. content creation. <laughs> yeah. On other the new platforms. thing. I'll just create uh, the pre-show podcast. It's a whole new subgenre. No one's tapped into it yet. There you go. Exclusive idea. That's it now. going to have to trademark that straight away. <laughs> yeah, so... It's uh, it's been a stressful few weeks for you, which uh, to say the least. But we you know we'll get into that a bit later on. Uh, but first, let's get to know you a little bit before we jump into all that stuff. So, uh, what's what's your story, dude? Where you where are you from? What you do do? Oh, oh God! Uh, no, I'm not even know. Where are you from? And you know what? Uh, what's your background? Shall we say? Yeah, uh, it's that terrifying question where someone's like, who are you? And you just sort of have that blank mm-hmm. moment of like um, existential dread where you're like, what am I? Who who will I be? Um, I mean, what? I'm 21. I was born in Merseyside, lived there for about 10 years. Moved to Lancashire with parents. Moved to uni when I was 18 in Brighton where I was there for three years and now back in the north. You know, back with my in the mothership with my people, my family, my three doggos. Who I think I think I'm mainly here for the dogs. Let's be real about it. Um, yeah, my sort of story, I suppose, and like for wrestling, in some ways, would be like quite odd. In some ways, like I never watched wrestling until I was like 12. 
um I'd, I'd literally never even heard of it i didn't know what it was um and i literally couldn't sleep one night I stumbled in um stumbled downstairs to my dad and was like i can't sleep and we just end up pretending on like sky sports and it was like two in the morning because i was um, for some reason he was up god knows why um and the rest uh, yeah well we just literally turned on sky sports and i remember it because it was i want to say it's over the limit 2010 um because the match that I remember watching was Cena Batista in Last Man Standing, and it was the finish where I do you know what I really enjoyed it that like that period of WWE retrospectively gets like a lot of flack, but like it was the finish where like Cena duct tapes the feet of Batista by, behind the ring post, yeah, uh, to beat yeah. him to the ten count, and I think it's the one then he does the AA off the uh, car or something like yeah. that um, to sort of like end it all off and. Then I think that's when Batista literally the next night comes out and goes like I retire and all that, and he does. He bugs off for a few years. So yeah, like after that, within six months, I was training because we'd found a train. Me and my dad had looked online and found a training school because I was very sort of inquisitive and nosy. It's just yeah, I was just nosy and I wanted to sort of know like the the bit behind what how it and the whole how it all worked because to me it was like a big magic trick. Like how are these people doing this two hundred days a year and not like crippled within a year yeah. you know like how, how are they yeah. still walking and that sort of illusion fascinated me um so yeah and then i mean i've been involved in wrestling in some form or another for nearly what nine years now maybe i had a bit of a break um when i nearly when i did some when i got an injury from rugby when i was 16 so i had about a year off then more than that i've been involved in wrestling in some form whether that was um originally whoop, there goes my camera um whether that was originally uh with future shock wrestling actually i think it was uh where i did like graphics and videography work and uh like media production and like did all the stage setups from the tech on the day and stuff like that to wrestled on a couple of student shows very poorly mm. um and then yeah refereeing for sort of the last sort of three to four years maybe i don't i, I can never really like really figure out when i started refereeing it's sort of a bit of a blur but yeah, that's sort of my story, I guess. That's like really cool, race. though, that you were able to like kind of get into it from such a young age. Because yeah. obviously, I think particularly in the UK, or certainly when I was like younger, there wasn't the opportunities that there is now to get into like into wrestling. Like I oh, never no. would have been big enough anyway because I'm really short. But like, same. Don't worry. I still, I still would have, if I if I was like. My son's age now, so my oldest son is fourteen. He's like six foot. If I was him, I'd yeah. be like, I'd want to get into it now, and I'd be trying to look for like training, you know, training schools and camps and stuff. But those and sorts of opportunities were very, very sparse when I was younger, which is obviously a, a fair, fair few years ago now. That's uh, not that long at all, I'm sure. But the thing is, as well with it, like, what's amazing to me is like, so I started when I was twelve, which would have been wait. Work this out maybe like 2011 2012 ish and even in that time it wasn't like there wasn't loads of training schools like the closest ones to me so were where i went to which was xwa at the time xwa morecambe um there was future shock and gpw who trained in manchester and then you sort of closest ones that i was aware of at the time you're talking like ngw in hull um northeast way way, yeah but whereas now and it's not even that long later really like i could go you know there's from so currently i'm in blackpool and like 
there's Preston City Wrestling in Preston, ironically. Uh, there's uh, Manchester, there's like four different training schools, Manchester Pro Wrestling Academy, which was formerly, I believe, affiliated with Future Shock, but the trainer was anyway, um, which is Andrew Cooper, who's one of the best trainers around as well. Um, there's GPW, there's, you know, Liverpool, where you've got Fighting Spirit with James Drake and Zach Gibson. Um, and these these are all within an hour. Like, you've got three, four, five different training schools all within an hour, which is, like, it's bonkers to me. Like, and that's an hour of public transport as well. That's not even, like, oh, yeah, you know, we drive in a car and go, like, for 70 miles. Like, this is, you know, they're so... They're, wrestling itself, to, for people to, who want to get into it in whatever form, is now more accessible than ever, which is brilliant. Wrestling is also more accessible than ever, which brings everyone into it who may also have ulterior motives towards their time in wrestling. That part isn't necessarily as good, but, you know, it's it's one of those things. And I think, like, as time passes, we're getting a lot better at weeding them out and not letting them get any sort of opportunities in there, uh, slowly but surely. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, there's, it's been, bonkers. there's been a there's been a few um, a few sort of kind of cases of what should we say unsavory people over yes. the years, and yes. like you are right, they do tend to get weeded out. There was even a, a guy within wrestling media. I've forgotten his name now. It'll come to me maybe later. Yeah, but he'd like a moment. Yeah, he was kind of like a, a well sort of respected wrestling kind of journalist and podcaster and writer you know he'd written for some big sites and whatnot and then all of a sudden it turned out that he was not a good person and it kind of all as it does so often with social media things happen very fast well as you found out recently <laughs> yeah things happen it's... and travel very fast and if something kind of catches on or in this person's case wasn't very pleasant before you know it, the whole world knows. And yeah. yeah. But that is also the benefit and detriment of social media. Like yeah, the benefit course, the benefit yeah. is like obviously, you know, it doesn't just mean that now um someone at Lon- who's trained at a London school can suddenly just move to Birmingham and start training and no one really knows anything about them. It means that it means that now like literally all of wrestling goes, You are a so and so and you are not a, you're not allowed to be in this business because you are a detriment to it or a liability to the people involved in it so it's a i mean god social media itself over the last sort of week or two for me as well has been a whirlwind like <laughs> which i'm sure we'll get into yeah, but like i can only imagine you must um, especially over the weekend you must have been having like just notification after notification after notification well to be fair um i did literally like Referring to the statement, I made, like, what? As of recording, it was two weeks ago from the event, so, like, maybe just over a week ago now. I think it was, like, the Thursday, maybe, I put out the statement. Um, like, I literally tweeted, like, it was, like, I think it was, like, six tweets, maybe seven, because I think I put another one out that then got deleted because it was to do with uh, pay. Um, and I literally was, like, I just didn't want to deal with anything wrestling at that point. I was so, like, in so much pain and so annoyed by like the whole culture behind wrestling at that point and the backstage politics of it i was just like do you know what f this like i just logged out and was like i can't be bothered dealing with this um and then i got a message from one of my friends about two hours later being like what have you done mm-hmm. <laughs> and i was like i've I, what do you mean like I've, I've literally just been sat home with my dogs and they're like no have you, have you seen your twitter and i was like no why i literally logged out a bit like two hours ago and the, the uh they were like yeah you might have 
started something here and then progressively through the night they are uh, well through the day and then the night they sort of showed me that i potentially caused a bit of a civil unrest across <laughs> yeah. twitter worldwide which was not in any form my intention but here we are <laughs> it it? let's be honest it wasn't your fault this is no it's true it's well we'll get into that a bit later yeah probably jumping ahead of myself yeah, no, it's right. We said this would happen, that we'd just go from tangent to tangent to tangent. Yeah. So it's, it's all good. Um, when we, when I first messaged you and we were sort of messaging back and forth, um, you had mentioned you've got uh, ADHD. Was it, was it ADHD yeah. or ADHD? Uh, I think it's ADHD because it's the hyperactivity as well. Um, yeah. Anna's attention. It's why I keep looking down. Now, I, I promise you, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm literally doodling at the same time to try and keep my brain from like going bonkers. Um, yeah, I mean, I always sort of guessed I had some form of like stupid thing wrong with me, the way I sort of put it in my head. Um, not that it is anything wrong with anyone. Um, it's just a sort of personality quirk and trait, but it was just one of those things where you sort of like, meh, maybe it's this, maybe it's, maybe I'm just, you know, I mean, what? It's, it's that thing that sometimes people just goes like to, well, you just, you need to sit down and pay attention. It's like, I, it, it's, yeah. it's not that I don't want to. I literally am just like, my brain's bouncing around 10 different things at the same time wired a bit different yeah yeah and i I really do like the expression sort of wired different and you know i think we went through sort of a phase like i think societally like maybe like five or six years ago where it was very much like oh well everyone's got depression everyone's got anxiety everyone's got this this and this and this and it was like said as a derogatory thing where like well not everyone sure they can have depression it's like well, actually, you know, if the world's a bit horrible, people can. Like, you know, people are, you know, feeling really bad and it can get to that point where it is, you know, like a depression or people can have so many anxieties and it's like, you know, it's like, oh, well, not everyone can have social anxieties. It's like, yes, because it manifests itself in so many different ways or it can be, you know, it doesn't, there isn't like a, this is what it is. It's ding, ding, ding. And that's all it can be. The, you know, the the sort of, I don't want to say spectrum because that's a whole different that's a whole different yeah. ball game. But like, it it's like an umbrella term for so many things um, within oh, yeah. that sort of condensement. And then you have them all, and it's like one of the one of the things that you know is quite a sort of generically. I hate I hate like being a stereotype, but like it's stereotypically a boomer generation thing to say like, well, you know, back in my day we just got on with it. And it's like, well, yeah, but. Also, a lot of people tried to kill themselves and weren't very happy with their lives. Doesn't make it okay. Um, yeah. So, like, and didn't yeah. end, back then people didn't understand uh, yeah. the way the mind works as well as they do now. Like science yeah. and things progress. One of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes that I see on Twitter. Not so much these days, but like certainly a few years ago, there were still people saying it. It's like if you saw like a Premier League footballer or a movie star, kind of speak about having some issues with depression or anxiety it would kind of be like well, what have they got to be depressed about they've got millions in the banks and this lovely beautiful oh yeah house and kids and it's like you're kind of not getting it or understanding that it can happen mm. to anyone for any reason yeah. there was so much ignorance around it wasn't there like mm. it was it was insane and it is it really is what you're saying like it's like, well, what what do you have to be anxious about or nervous about well actually quite a little bit quite a bit and it's yeah. like you know, it, it doesn't, and I think half of it as well is like the idea that most of the time it's not 
the, the people involved in it as well know that it's not necessarily a rational thought. Like, you know, like a lot of sort of depressive thoughts and that come down to, well, not a lot, that's not the right way of putting it, but like, I know in my experience, a lot of depressive thoughts come from like um, self doubt and sort of self depreciation and this sort of lack of, therefore, of belief in yourself. And it's like, yeah, like when I'm in a rational state of mind, I know that's not a rational thought to have. But the issue is the depression means that I'm not in a rational state of mind. What might be seen as something that's like, well, you're just being stupid isn't necessarily what someone wants to hear in that space. You need to just no. have that um, compassion to go, well, actually, no, that, you know, like, that's not rational, but let's explore that because that's the only way that you're going to bring yourself out of it. And it's sort of being more honest with the people around you and and just sort of saying to them, it's like, they, then, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like people started to sort of, I think from what we were saying before about like a couple of years ago when it was like quite ignorant to people started to get more savvy to the fact that a mental illness isn't necessarily the person, it's an illness, similar to how a broken bone isn't due to the person. It's just a physical side effect, whereas a mental illness is just a mental side effect of an illness. That doesn't make any yeah. sense, but like it's this idea that basically the mental the mental illness is not the person it's just something that's affecting that person similar to how a broken leg is not the person the person is not defined by their broken leg it is an effect it is something that you then put in additional sort of barrier not barriers um the opposite of barriers helps to solve that that was a complete tangent and i did try and make that as succinct as i could but it definitely was not my no, that's <laughs> so good. So, when did you? How old were you when you sort of got diagnosed with ADHD? Really late, um, last year or two, like nineteen twenty. Yeah, like um, I was always like quite. Luckily, I was quite good in school. Like I was, I was, I, de- I got quite good grades. Um, I was quite good, a bit of a teacher's pet, I guess. So I never really got. A bit of extra, and <laughs> went to primary school in Merseyside. There was a lot of issues there, so like, sort of. I think mine sort of were like, uh, just he's a, he's a bit he's a bit mental, but you know, a bit weird, a bit of a weird kid, I suppose. Um, sort of a term that's followed me my entire life. But there we go. Um, so yeah, it was only like a couple of years ago. I was um, just generally seeing a therapist and count- slash counselor and chatting to them about my life and everything in the universe. And they were like, "Have you ever con- have you ever had like this diagnosis?" And I was like, "Nope." And they were like, I'd like it if you went and saw someone about it and just sort of check, because it might help you sort of understand yourself a bit more. And I was like, sure. Went ahead and, yeah, your boy got ADHD. I was like, well, that's... And then retrospectively, and I think with any sort of mental illness, you sort of look back and you go, oh, because you look back at certain events and you're like, that was that, that was this, this was this side effect or um, trait of the mental illness yeah. or... I don't know if ADHD technically is a mental illness, is it? I don't it's, know. It it's technically mental illness. Disorder, yeah. I think, That's well, I mean, a disorder, it's a, yeah. It's like, it is technically a mental health illness. But, so, like, so my my uh, oldest son, he's got ADHD, he's 14, like I said. Yeah. He, um, he got diagnosed a couple of years ago. So, like, he's really lucky in that his school are pretty good now with the, like, Giving him support, and I think the support he had in place for the last couple of years, he's barely using in terms of like 
go into the they got like a base and they can go but I think he's got to the point now where he can kind of manage himself and he can do that self regulation yeah whereas in like you the first couple of years after finding out he did need that support and when I look back to my time in school I was not a good kid in school uh, particularly in high like the latter years of high school yeah and I often do wonder. I think, did I? Would I? I think in today's day and age, I think I would get diagnosed as having ADHD. Yeah. But I don't know. And then, and then you wonder, kind of, well, what would have happened if I'd have had this in place or this support or this or if I was seeing someone about that? But it's, it's, you know, it's difficult to say. But at least I think these days, with all mental health, things are getting better. Yeah, uh, no one is getting better. Yeah, there's still 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 things to uh, to work with, and I think there's still progress to be made. But God, when I compare it to like ten years ago, even yeah, people's attitudes towards mental health generally have improved yeah. massively. Well, well, to me as well, like you say that, like ten years ago. So that's what two thousand nine. So I started high school in 2009 and I remember like vividly for high school, like, you know, especially the first couple of years, like, and I mean, I'm not saying this has changed because I don't know because I haven't been in high school since I was in one myself, but like, I noticed it notably got better over the five years I was there. Like, when I started high school in 2009, a lot of sort of, not slurs, that's that's maybe too extreme to say, but like, disses, like, you know, it's like, you know that thing where it's like kids, kids are like, oh, you're, you're this, you're the other, you're, yeah, you, yeah. you like basically just being like you suck, um, but they'll use, <laughs> well, the common one is you're gay. That's that's always a fun one that high school students want to throw about. <laughs> that didn't totally lead me to like <laughs> horrific trauma that then re- resulted in me coming out like four years later than I probably should have. But like that's a whole again whole different ball game. But like stuff that they use is like you're. I vividly remember, like, people going, like, you're a tranny, which, obviously, at the time, I had no idea what it was, but, like, things like that, which can affect people's mental health massively, especially in, like, the oh, trans community. Like, for anyone who doesn't know, I am, like, an openly gay man, so, like, queer sort of culture and stuff like that is very sort of high on my agenda, and especially at the minute with trans rights and things like that, it's very much, like, a big thing for me, hence why that's the sort of stuff that came to my brain. But things like, they'd be like, oh, you're a weirdo because you have this in your brain, or oh, you go and see someone to talk to them, that must mean that you're this. I think horrible, but like, and it's like going from that to now in the big wide world, and it's less, it's less common. It's not uncommon, sadly, um, but it's less common than maybe it was, like you said, like 10 years ago. And I think that that shift in society has started and fingers crossed it's one of those things that like it's just taking a bit to sort of get rolling but when it does that snowball effect just keeps going going and going and going and going and going, and going until it you know absorbs every disgraceful person who thinks it's okay to joke about it and actually realizes that it's not a thing and then everyone's happy and the world has rainbows and bunnies in it and donald trump is not in power <laughs> soon hopefully i think he um i think the thing is like we go back to what we were saying about social media, there's there's obviously there's really good aspects to it. Yeah. There is a lot of bad things, bad side to it. And like if you happen to click on a certain tweet, you can very quickly be like reading some really 
nasty, whether it's like trolling or abuse or whatever it can be, just yeah. from people who it could be a celebrity or it could just be a person who's mm. who's said their opinion on a subject and people yeah. just jump on in droves. If or they, even they say if things they in give facts. The opinion that's on the one that baffles right me. Thing. Like yeah, like people literally state facts and they get abuse for it. It's like no no no, that's that's literally a fact. There is empirical evidence to prove it. And it's like, no. I mean, the one that comes to my brain is like climate change in America. It's like, not proven. It's like, yes, it, it literally is a proven fact. You absolute imbecile. Yeah. Subjects, because uh, we do a show on conspiracy theories, which is like, it's like a kind of love light, conspiracy like, theories. Light, it's like a lighthearted show, because we do like a lot of shows. We don't load on like ADHD and we've done some on wrestling and films and TV and all this different stuff. And then... A whole plethora of things. Yeah. Like, I just wanted to get my word of the day in there. Yeah, that's all good. It's always good for new words. The, um, the, the conspiracy theory one is just like, it's basically me and my mates just talking about conspiracy theories and just going on wild tangents all about all sorts. We'll start on one, which is supposed to be like the focus of the show. Yeah. And then just we end up talking about a different one. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. They seem to be oh, yeah. quite, they're one of our most popular series, which is mad to me because I have some quite cool guests and stuff on the show. And then <laughs> one of the more popular ones is just me and my mate talking about conspiracy theories. The world is a brilliant and baffling place. Indeed. So the, other, the last thing I was going to say on ADHD as well is um, like particularly with my kids i've like tried to say as well um i don't know if you're familiar with um with fightful.com a little plug for them because they're awesome um but Not fully um so they're like a wrestling mma like site uh they're managing editor uh sean ross sap who does podcasts and runs the site basically he um he's got adhd and you know, he's when i've spoken to him about it he says like it helps him with his job because yeah. because of the time zones in America and when like uh, WWE or AEW will drop their news it's a slightly different time zone of course it's his not being able to sleep at like regular times because of his ADHD actually benefits him with his job because he needs to have a lot of energy he needs to have hyper focus hyper focus is, is something which I think generally people assume that ADHD is like oh, people can't concentrate, they're hyperactive. Yeah. But actually, hyperfocus, which is we had a show on that as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like that's something which was new to me. I I didn't know about it. Yeah. Um, and we had a mental health support worker, Jacob, who's got ADHD from Bristol, and he like he has to take breaks from social media and uh, stuff like that because. He, when he's doing a project with his work, he gets so focused on it that he just completely, it just takes away from everything around him. Um, and that's an aspect to ADHD, which I didn't know about. And I've learned through these podcasts, basically, which is... Yeah, and I think, like, hyperfocus is definitely, like, a massive thing that I've had as well. Like, literally, what you're saying about what Jacob had. Um, also, realising that I speak very fast, that's an ADHD thing, I think. Yeah. Um, so... If I am going very fast at any point, please tell me to slow down because I did it without realising. Um, the hyper-focus aspects, like you're saying with Jacob, where he has to take actual breaks, I found that because I've literally just come back from university like a couple of months ago. Um, I did three years there, like essays, all the shenanigans and everything. Like, 
and there were times where like literally i'd be so fixated on something you'd go like eight nine ten hours and just i just didn't realize um and like the reason i like figured out what it was was i was like is this a normal thing and then when i eventually got my diagnosis i was kind of like oh that's what it is but it was like it it started and it's just it's just really random but it started from like you know when you see like people like sarcastically posting like oh i don't know how people forget to eat i will always eat and, I'm, and i was kind of like yeah no same to be fair but then i was like wait and then like the next day i'd be like just going to do a bit on my essay eight hours later have forgotten to like drink eat have any basic like hygiene or care for myself and have just been sat at my desk like sprawling through all this stuff and it's hyper focus and i sort of have it i sort of call it in my own brain to, for me it's like a hyper fixation um one of my favorite things my dad has ever said to me is like if he had to describe me he say I was like a horse with blinkers on um because that is the best way i can sort of explain like a hyper fixation or hyper focus to anyone who's not sort of got that experience themselves it feels like if you're the horse and you've got your blinkers on and it's like you see this like end goal and it's just sort of like that is the only thing that matters and there is nothing else and this was must be what i focus on um and it's you know it's like it's a benefit and a detriment at the same time like like i said and i'm sure you talked about that on the high focus stuff but it's it is that thing that like i don't think anyone really i didn't for ages and i had the bloody mental disease mental illness <laughs> was like oh this is actually a cool thing like when you when you sort of balance pros and cons it's like yeah i might sort of not sleep for many many hours because i can't switch off but also if i need to focus on this really important project i can sometimes focus on that yeah. for way longer than i probably should be able to yeah oh absolutely so it's it's kind of i think part of it is accepting like obviously i haven't got adhd myself but i've obviously we've dealt with it with my son and i've spoken to lots of people who've got it who i spoke to like a couple of doctors who came on and different you know different charities and different things like that to try and get like as much information and just get to grips with it not just for my son but for me to have a better understanding of it and one of the things which seems to be a reoccurring thing for the people who who do suffer with it is like accepting that your brain works slightly different and Mm. there will be periods where you can't concentrate or you're fidgeting or you can't sit still or you're hyperactive or you have got this fixation on doing something yeah and just trying to manage it in a healthy way so that you know when you do kind of fixate on something you try and work out a way to pull yourself away and eat yeah. or drink no you know, i think it is that like, yeah it's exactly what you said about like doing it in a healthy way as well like like i agree like i think a lot of people focus like with sort of many different sort of forms of mental illness and stuff like that and conditions um especially at first we'll find it hard to sort of accept it because it's you know especially within the education system it's not widely presented yet and it's still at sort of discretion of schools to teach sort of mental health um in any format let alone like an an in-depth sort of this this is what happens and this is okay it's sort of on the onus of you know whatever they want to do and if they're very anti it or if you've got one headmaster or headmistress who's like no we are not this how dare you suggest that this could be true um no nope, lost it don't know where i was going with that sorry my brain, my uh, brain no, is it's like, gone. <laughs> sorry it's like you've got like some some teachers 
around the country don't believe that it's a real thing. And it's yeah. kind of like, how can you expect the kids in that teacher's school to get the correct support if they've got ADHD or ADD or yeah, exactly. autism or you know, whatever it may be? And with if, that as well, yeah, sorry, it's just come back to my head and yes, it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll jump again if it doesn't, sorry um, for interrupting right. you. It is literally that, because if you have it then, um, and again, it sort of links to my like LGBTQ sort of rights and responsibilities and education as well. Like, if you don't teach children that it's, or anyone really, not just children, like that this is a thing and it happens and it's okay, it means that when, you know, someone of that education system then has to sort of present themselves and look at themselves and go, what am I, who am I, what is, what defines me and why is this affecting me? If they suddenly go, well, I have this thing and it's called ADHD, oh my God, does anyone else have it? I don't really want to talk about it. And that then leads to like a, a negative spiral of like, oh my God, why me? What am I doing? Why why is this suffering for me? What have I done to deserve this sort of thing? And it's it's a whole negative spiral and it can cause so many um, negative connotations with like mental health and really sort of bring them down, which then, you know, leads down the road to what we were saying earlier about like depression, anxieties and things like that. Whereas all that needed to really be done was just have a basic at least just like this exists don't worry about it 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 is fine it just means x y or z um and i think it is a big thing like to actually obviously reduces the stigma as well of like like you said like i had it i have adhd and i didn't know about hyperfocus until i got diagnosed with it and i've been living with it for 19 years at that point so how does anyone who doesn't know that do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, and then exactly. if I'm trying to describe it to someone this, and they don't necessarily believe it or which which of the other, it just it makes it a whole lot harder to sort of stay positive about yourself. And, you know, it just sucks, really. <laughs> yeah. The other thing as well is there's in every school in Britain, there's kids with ADHD. Every school. 100%. 110%. Yeah. Or at least those who are presenting in a very high who may not necessarily get a diagnosis because it's a checklist ADHD, but are show and present traits that are very similar to, or at least a solid amount of them. Yeah. So if like in high schools or primary schools, wherever it may be, they, they just give like a basic outline of some people have got this and this is what it involves. It just means that their brain works in a slightly different way. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, there's like this huge, huge problem which is going to cause massive issues for the rest of their life. But it just yeah. means that their brain fires and works in a different way. Yeah, it exactly. Takes that. Like half hour, didn't it, Max, to for to give like just a little basic explanation so those kids don't yeah. then react negatively if they find out or they get diagnosed with it. They're not yeah. thinking, why am I different? Why, you know? Well, I just want to be normal or whatever, you know, all the things which, that my son said to me when he found out. Yeah. But no, 100%. We could go on for hours about uh, things that schools should do. Oh, trust but, me, my, de- my degree is in primary school teaching. I could go on for hours, weeks, months, it's so long about like the amount of things in the education system that are ridiculous and vitriol that we have to teach yet have no like functional purpose in real life but i digress you know thank you our tory overlords you have totally not buggered up the whole system what who said that buggered up everything please teaching 
country as a whole. Service, any, anything public service, anything that, yeah, there's, oh, there's an absolute cluster at the minute. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, stay away from touching that one, otherwise I'll be here all night, trust me. I yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I said no, no politics on my podcasts from the start. And then every <laughs> time I, I do this series called um, Unscripted and Uncensored, where <laughs> good luck with politics people, on that then. Just get people to, to send in topics or questions, and then me and the guests have just got to talk about it. Oh, uh, God. So we had, who we had on there? We had Roderick Giggs for the first show, which was really interesting. Nice. Oh, he's a really cool, cool dude, actually. Um, but you can imagine the questions which people wanted to ask. And to be fair to him, he like, just addressed them all, and he was cool. And yeah. um, then the next one, I had an MMA fighter, Lee Remedias, on. Oh, right, yeah, nice. And he is, like, super opinionated, but not, like, in a negative way. He just, he's got an opinion about everything. Yeah. And he, like, writes it on his social media and stuff. So oh, yes. me kind of thinking, oh, he's an MMA fighter, it'd be really cool, I'd probably like to speak to him. And then I said, oh, I'm having Libre Abadeus on, send in your questions. And it was just, like, low, just hundreds of questions about, what was it, like, Boris Johnson, Trump, <laughs> knife crime, oh, God. Gun, gun crime. I was like, well, there goes the politics out the window. Yeah, it's like, no, no it politics. It was really fun. And then yeah. today, I, I, today I recorded a show with a, a Welsh Assembly politician. So there we go. <laughs> so the whole, no politics. politics is How many episodes? So you've done like 70 episodes, isn't it? And, yeah. I, and it's like 70 episodes. Of, well, we're just, you know, politician. It's fine. It's the same thing, right? But the thing is, though, with yeah. that, like, as much as we joke about it in that sense, like, I hate this idea that people can't be, you know, so public. Especially, like, so, again, linking this to sort of situational and stuff, but, like, wrestling, stuff like that. One of the best wrestlers in the world, arguably the best British wrestler in the world at the minute, Zack Sabre Jr., you look at his social media, it is probably 70% politics, 30% other miscellaneous, including wrestling. Like, I hate this idea that just because you are, you know, actors or this, and it's like, you shouldn't talk about politics. Why not? Like, that's literally the point. If you have that social reach, like, you see all these bloody um, social media influencers who've, you know, just, it's just another, sorry, some stereotype, but another oh, white God. person with a camera and a conservative parent's, like, heritage who can, like, spill vitriol to the entire social media population of a hundred thousand potential subscribers and and whoever watches their video and make everyone think that it's oh it's okay to say i identify as a penguin piss off piers morgan that's okay but then it's like someone goes oh actually maybe calling maybe being transphobic on national tv isn't right and then you get all these people leech onto it and be like you should never be you know politics friend like friendly i think it should be that thing it normalizes actually having politics as a general conversation like i wouldn't say that i'm interested in politics necessarily but i'm not naive enough to go that they don't affect everything in our lives in some form or another whether it's direct indirect or other like politics has an effect on everything that we do in our lives everything that we look to do whether it's your job with the industry that you're in what's the infrastructure what support do you need from that how could how would you support it potentially what's your statutory sick pay like well that defines on the government and it's like actually no saying that you're not interested in politics is just completely ridiculous and it shows your privilege in the world in my opinion because it means that you don't have to 
focus on it. Sorry, I'm, yeah. I realise I'm like yeah. I feel like I'm ranting at you here, and I'm not. I'm just like, oh no, this, right. this has just been built. You can tell this has been building in me for a while. But it's like I've seen so many people, and it's like you're what 21 22 and you're like oh i don't really have an interest in politics Ah, oh, the brexit vote i'll just go and vote for it whatever no have an interest in it it affects everyone not just you and your bloody privileges that you have like think about it from every oh i can go on for years about this i'll stop before i go even further but yeah basically do have an interest in politics even if it's just they suck or they're good or you know anything like just at least have a basic understanding of it because it affects everything we do whether you like it or not <sighs> sorry and there yet again, there's there's one thing that everyone should know about politicians, all of them, mm. apart from the one who came on my show today, and that is you can't trust anything they say. Yes, no, that's very true. I know. <laughs> finished finished that with that. Um, <laughs> so you said you were you grew up in uh, Merseyside, wasn't it? Um, yes. So would you support Liverpool or Everton then? Neither. Neither. Yeah. Neither, neither for me. Um, so my dad took me to my first football game when I was less than a year old, um, and he was born and raised in Rochdale, just out in great, just outside Manchester. So Rochdale and my club proudly. You can actually, I think, maybe just behind me in the camera. Where is it? On the on the ceiling there. Got my yeah, uh, centenary year Rochdale flag from when I went to Wembley to watch us in the playoff final for League Two. Currently League One. Brian Barry Murphy's Barmy Army doing all right. Uh, cool. Yeah. Did you go? Not. Did you watch that match then, or? Um, for the last three years, not really, because being in Brighton, it's a bit of a trek to get to Rochdale yeah. from there. Anyone who's anything about UK geography will probably agree with me on that. Um, but yeah, no, I I want to go back properly and watch them this season. We've got United in the League Cup very soon, actually. So at Old Trafford, so you know, big game, giant killers. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're a you're a, a level eight football referee. Yes, yes, I am. It's honestly really kind of cool. I really like it um, because without referees, there would be no football. Uh, yeah, and vice versa. <laughs> first of all, how did you get into that? Um, and also, what does level eight like? Where does it start and where does it finish? Right. So levels. Yeah, with levels, so footballing levels go basically backwards. Like, one is the highest, two, three, four. So I'm level eight. I'm pretty much just your sort of, like, standard Sunday league um, pub team referee. That's that's sort of where I'm at at the minute because, to be honest, I haven't tried to pursue it to get any higher in levels because I wanted to try and put my eggs in wrestling, and <laughs> here yeah. I am. That was a great choice. Well done. Uh, <laughs> um but yeah, so levels wise, level you start. I think level. So I did uh, start again. Sorry, I started football refereeing when I was maybe fourteen. I think okay. so. Earlier on, I said about like I had about a year's break from wrestling when I got injured. Um, I think from what I can remember, that was when I want I did it because I was like I wanted something else to do in my weekends, and that was something that I'd thought about, and like it was a little money earner for me. So it's like pocket money and stuff like that. Because ADHD, couldn't sleep half the time. So getting up for a paper round was completely out of the question for me. Um, yeah. So when I, so I did my course at Lancashire FA in Leyland near Preston. And started as, I think it's level nine that you go when you're a, um, when you qualify and you're under 16, or it was at that point anyway. Um, or under 18, maybe. One of the two. Well, basically, it means that you're a youth official. 
Um, and then when you turn 18, you immediately become a level eight referee, which means you're qualified, but that's sort of like the lowest level that you can be. Um, and it gives you like, you can referee certain things. Uh, yeah, that was sort of my, I, I, it's really annoying actually that I don't really remember why I got into it. I think if more than anything, one of my dad's good friends who worked with him at the time at the football club, um, he'd got into it and my dad would always like tell me like, Oh yeah, Richard's doing this at the minute. And, I always find it really cool. Like I really got on well with him and I really enjoyed sort of listening to what he was saying. Um, and it's just one of those things that put, it sort of probably put the seed in the back of my mind and was like, oh, I could do that. And I did. Um, yeah. And I, really I, find it, I find it really interesting though that like you got into the kind of wrestling at quite a young age. Yeah. You got even, even like referee and like 14 is quite a young age to be doing that. Yeah. Because well, obviously... You know, most fourteen-year-olds would be kind of playing. Yeah, and I was before that. To be fair, like I played rugby from when I was like seven Mm. to when I was maybe I think I was either eleven or twelve, and then because we moved, I stopped playing for that team because it was just so much effort with like traveling and stuff like that. Um, and I went into doing football, and I was a goalkeeper because every goalkeeper has to be mental and kind of fits my bill quite well. Um, and then. Yeah, I got really disenchanted with football as well. This is <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh, that's, that's, excellent! I see yeah. myself already. Like, just make sure he doesn't get into wrestling refereeing. That that's a slippery yeah. slope. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's brilliant, really. Just every now and again. Um, yeah, no. So that was sort of yeah. At 14, it was it was a bit weird actually, like ref- refereeing. I must admit, but like, obviously, you, at that point, you you weren't able to sort of. I mean, it'll still be the case, I'm sure, but like. I couldn't ref anyone in a higher age group than myself. So I, and I think it was like a two year difference. It had to be. So like I could ref from like under 12s downwards um, okay. teams wise, which was kind of cool. Cause it meant that it wasn't, it was a bit less scary than like having someone your own age who yeah, could have yeah. potentially been like two feet taller than you at that point. Cause I was a short ass. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and like at the age of just kind of like 14 or whatever, you don't want to be refereeing kids your age, do you? Because no. I'd be, kids you know from school or just yeah you know, sort of a conflict of interest conflict around of interest even. yeah no, so, definitely so uh sorry i lost my trailer for so like before i ask you about your negative experiences around like referee and football matches yeah um and this grassroots football obviously like i mentioned numerous times i've got three boys um the, the oldest one and the youngest one play football between the two of them pretty much yeah. seven days a week which is fun for dad taxi i was gonna um, say taxi taxi service yeah yeah my wife doesn't drive either so it's literally like down <laughs> to, so I, I don't mind because i that's, uh, that's strategic from her i like that like she, yeah. she knew exactly what she was doing there <laughs> yeah it's, it's weird like sometimes i can be like a bit like oh, again but yeah. equally i said like we discussed off air, and I've just talked about it before. Like when I had my car accident, I had five years of being on crutches and using a wheelchair, which meant I got a peek into completely not being able to do anything for myself. I had that little, little peek into uh, what could have happened if I didn't have my spinal fusion when I did. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, another, of course. Another tangent. Um, best things. What's the best thing about? Referee and football matches, grassroots football matches for you. Seeing some like obviously really talented people, like 
so it never ceases to amaze me. Like I was never a talented footballer, and like I'm happily able to say that. But like, it's it's that thing where like you'll hear it all the time. You know, if you watch football on TV, and it's like these people's like, yeah, they you know they were they they get told that they were in the academy at this age, and they just had this spark of talent. And it's kind of like it's a bit sort of you know you think it's a cliche, but then like so there was a there was a match I refereed like outside of Brighton. Um, few months ago now it would have been like april time probably because it was the end of the season and it was a team and the team was only it was made up of like 22 and 23 year olds and they were like academy people who also were then not playing in the academy at that time for whatever reason and just watching them actually play like up close and personal is like it's insane like the, like the speed that what they can like distribute the ball or control it and you know dribble it around and beat people and ping off another pass to get somewhere else it just it's brilliant like and as someone like as someone who loves football it's like well this is the best seat in the house similar with wrestling to be fair that's one of the best things as well but like it really is just being able to see like these fantastic players and also like so when i started it originally like when i was 14 obviously i had a lot less scope for teams that i could referee obviously due to transport age etc etc so like you do sort of see the same players a lot of the time through the season like you'll see them a fair bit um not that you get to know them like in a personal like personal sense, but like you can see like especially like if you ref someone at the start of a season at the end of the season and a bit in the middle as well, like you can actually progress see that progression. And obviously, because yeah. unlike their coach, you'll see them every training session, every match, and it might be a bit less obvious yeah. to them. Whereas, like, yeah, of course, like anything, like if you see something every day, like. But for me, sometimes I just like to watch that as well. It's, I just think it's really fascinating and sort of. One of the things as well is like personal growth with people. Like you can see as they become more confident in that, they become more like, because I'm, I'm a people person. I'm a people watcher even. I am a people person as well, to be fair. Um, so like if I'm warming up and things like that, I mean, I'll always have my eyes on the teams just to make sure nothing's going to kick off or anything like that and just gauge what's going on. But like I'll, I'll certainly see like the characters of the teams and things like that and be sort of, you know, as horrible as it is, you do make like preconceived notions of people. And and it does interest me sometimes to see that and see people get more confident and, and think, oh, okay, you're more confident this time. That's interesting. Did you have a bad day? Or then you'll see them and they're playing and they're sort of their playmaker now and things like that. And it just gives them that confidence. And I think that's brilliant. Um, yeah, quite wholesome, that, I suppose, really. But yeah, <laughs> that's sort of my best thing that I love about football refereeing. Yeah, it's cool. And I, I really mean that. I think it's really good. And I think, like... <sighs> Like grassroots football, even like I've been watching my older boy for a good few years now since he was under nines. My other yeah. boy's ten, and he's been playing for three years. Um, and like I'm quite vocal from the side, but in like a kind of a positive way. Yeah. Um, like the most negative I'll be is like saying something like to him, like "Come on, you're better than that," or like, yeah. "If I don't think he's trying hard enough or something like that," or he's not or my older one's not concentrating as much as he should be. Yeah. But, like, you wouldn't believe, like, some of the stuff I've seen from parents and coaches. <laughs> Actually, from you probably you probably have as a referee. Like, <laughs> seen, like, I probably have. Worse. Yeah, that's, that's well, definitely um, one of the fun parts. Yeah, so, like, firstly, I'm going to assume that as a grassroots referee, you've probably experienced some kind of vocal, ex- vocal, vocal abuse. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the field or afterwards. Oh yes. Uh, oh yes. So, kind of, what's? I mean, I, I'm assuming it's a fairly regular, th- regular thing. 
uh, when it's not kind of overly aggressive, but you're going to get like the odd, you know, F off ref, you blind, whatever, that type of stuff. I'm assuming yeah. that's sort of part and parcel of being a ref. Yeah, and they usually get a yellow card and it stops very quickly because descent. Yeah. And um, I think I became quite notorious for not taking anyone's that's shit right, I would imagine. with that. Like just being like, well, no, don't you don't need to you don't need to say that. So why are you saying it? You basically just sort of being like the start of the game. It'd be kind of like when I'd go and like chat to the teams, it'd be like, hey, I also am a, I also am a human. If you come and scream at me, the chances of anything going your way, if you think I've got a decision wrong, is very unlikely. Um, and if you're not able to come and have a civil conversation with me, that's probably a dissent, and that will be a yellow card. And especially with since last season, when um, obviously like sin bins were trialed for the last couple of seasons, I was in one of the uh, trials for that, one of the leagues that I was refereeing in. It was brilliant. Like you saw a massive difference from the start of the season to the end of the season. Um, I think I've completely tangented off what you were trying to say there. No, no, that's okay. Though. That's fine. <laughs> so with the sin bin, do they? Um, what would that be like? 10 minutes off or something like that, is it? Yeah, it literally... So, um, the way the Simbins were introduced, obviously, in the pilot leagues, I don't fully... I, I mean, at the minute, I was going to start refereeing this season, but due to the injuries and stuff, I'm not going to do that anytime soon, so I haven't actually kept up on the uh, official laws of if they changed it since the pilot. But from what I was aware, basically, a ye- it's a yellow card directed towards a area, usually technical area or grassroots, and it's 10 minutes off completely off like you're not allowed to take part in the game you're not allowed to just have a substitution you are down to 10 men for that time for anyone who knows rugby exactly the same as that yeah. um and then it's basically like but that doesn't count as a yellow card offense as in like you could then still if you came back onto the pitch and then committed a challenge that was worthy of a yellow card caution um you would get that yellow card and that wouldn't be two yellow cards sent off okay. that would be right. just like just your like first yellow card so in theory you could technically have three yellow cards yeah. and be then sent off as opposed to the two before. Um, and, like, obviously it's that thing where you have to use your discretion and stuff like that, but I think, actually, it did make a notable difference, and I honestly do believe that it should be something that actually would make a massive difference in the global game and the elite football and, you know, the professional level, because at the end of the day, like, you know, you see it all the time, like rugby might have the refs mic'd up. Um, someone who loves rugby myself, that's why I'm sort of, that's my reference point for Simbin and Descent and things like that. In rugby, it's that idea of like, you know, actually have like a basic level of respect and they're mic'd up. So they know that if they say something to the ref, it's going to be picked up on a microphone, yeah. especially if that game's live on like Sky and stuff like that. They are going to be very careful with what they say. Um, I think adhere some of the Premier League footballers to that because it would soon stop the horrific things that are being said and done. And also it actually just flat out probably solve a lot of the um gray area where it's like well this person's actually horrible and they said this and they said that well actually here's the voice recording that states that you're yeah. actually wrong and it's it gets rid of a lot of ambiguity and I, I do genuinely believe that i think it'd be a great addition to elite level football and hopefully since the pilot's gone well and obviously it's been introduced at grassroots level i can only hope that it sort of progressively makes its way up the leagues as well yeah i think it would be interesting if that gets to like the Premier League and stuff, because I think a few footballers might have their images tarnished initially. Yeah, uh, and do you know what? I think maybe some, some of the clean-cut footballers. Yeah, absolutely they do. Yeah, some of the clean, the clean-cut ones that you wouldn't expect are suddenly like, oh, okay, yeah. right, okay. And that's the thing, and I feel like it actually would make a difference and you would actually get a true representation 
and I think that's a big thing, obviously, at the minute. Like, well, not just at the minute, but like generally with social media and that, like, it's very easy for people to be held to standards that are actually not reachable without Facetune and all these personal trainers and supplements and whatever else that they put in them to make it look as if you could, you too can be as fit as this footballer who spends 90% of their time in the gym with specialist equipment and specialist personal trainers who then also analyze their data and give them the specific diet that you, they pay that they don't pay for. And also that they've had this photo shoot where they've also had to have an hour of makeup and then an hour afterwards where they've spent in the actual photo for you to see that one image that's going to haunt you for the rest of your life, but why yeah. your body isn't right. And it's like that sort of thing. Um, people being held to unattainable standards of le- and levels like maybe as a social standpoint and how they react in the moment that introduction in elite level football and professional football would then actually show that people are human even at that level and hopefully yeah. be a nicer representation to those who are trying to come up you know you said about um your sons who obviously 14 is the eldest being able to see that and actually see that you know gareth bale the human but her human being not just someone you can see on tv and still has the same idea of what they can say and all the do you know what i mean i just think that that's actually yeah yeah it humanizes people a lot more but i think as a as a general that humanization can never be a negative thing especially in a world where we're consumed by this idealistic monsters that aren't necessarily uh, attainable yeah absolutely oh yeah 100 percent. i agree with that completely um so can you tell me some of the worst cases of like abuse you've suffered as when you were refereeing oh right so <laughs> or just some examples maybe well the one the general sort of thing is from parents and things like that and there's been a few times where i've had to speak to coaches about parents um there is one refereeing incident that i've had that was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in football refereeing and it actually made me stop refereeing for nearly four years um from when i was about 15 no do you know what it would have been about 16 because i didn't actually start refereeing until i was in my third year of uni at brighton in brighton um trigger warning for anyone who's had like abuse of like sexual orientation abuse basically when i was like 16 17 i was refereeing a game in blackpool and refereed the game whatever whatever and wasn't it was they were the team that in question were well known for their intriguing beliefs um that sort of area and not that i was trying to stereotype them before because i wasn't and i was just sort of like i'll take people at face value it's my first time officiating them um they were not necessarily happy with some of the decisions i made which i was like that's fair you can be upset with what i said with what my decisions were sorry and i was like that's fine that's part and parcel of me knowing the rules and you interpreting them and stuff like that um and so at the end of the game I went around and was shaking people's hands, et cetera, et cetera. And I had, these were under 13s, I should point out. So these kids are like 12, 13 years old and had someone call me an effing faggot. Um, you homo C word. Uh, there was a couple of others. And I was like, what? Because that was actually, to be honest with you, probably one of the first times I directly sort of had any homophobic abuse. And also at the time it wasn't like out either. So mm. it was very much like a big thing for me. So I went to speak to the coach and I was like, this is not okay. I will be making a report about it. And the coach just laughed in my face and went, right, whatever you absolute. Um, That's That's where they got it from. Yeah. So I was like, right, okay. And then that turned me off refereeing for like four years, like I said. So I didn't get back to it until like less than a year ago, maybe. Mm. Um, So yeah, that's definitely the worst experience. And not that I'm trying to like vilify 
um, football refereeing. I don't think it. I don't think that's something that realistically happens more than once every blue moon, and not that it ever should anyway. But yeah, that was definitely the worst thing I've ever had in my life with regards to like abuse. <laughs> yeah, um, you kind of. Um, it just you hear up, about. Yeah, I'm not surprised, and it's even. I think it's almost even worse that it was from like kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, the fact that, like, don't expect it, it. And it wasn't even that like they were old, older, like 15, 16, where you know they've started to understand what sex is and what sexual orientation preferences can be. And then using that as a negative stereotype, it's like these kids are like 12, 13 years old. Like they, that, and, and the fact that that's okay. Like, because I mean, I don't want to say it's like old school, but like I'm very much like, especially with the kids' games, if I hear them swearing, I'm like, pack it in now, or you'll be getting a yellow card for dissent because dissent doesn't have to be against their opponent, it can be towards teammates, etc. Um, because as much as it's, it's quite an archaic thing to think, but like I don't think that it has any place in a grassroots game. They want to do that when they're an adult fair game, like that's up to them. But at the same time, in grassroots, there's there's better ways to express yourself than using F this, you're this, you're this, you're the other. Like, just learn to use your people words first before you start adding swear words in there. Don't get me wrong, yeah. swear words can be a great thing for clarifying a point because I use them a lot. Um, but at that stage, I'm like, no. So I think that was also a big thing for me. I was like, what on earth is going on here? Like, yeah, that went yeah. through me massively, to be fair. I didn't even tell yeah. anyone about that for like two years after it either, which was fun. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it, ba- it baffles me with these the grassroots games where you see the coaches um, and, you know, the parents, the players, they they give the referees so much grief. And I just think if it wasn't for these referees turning up, for, you know, let's be fair, they don't get paid a great deal of money to turn yep. up on a Saturday and referee the games. Yep. And a lot of referees I know pay, like ref like four games a day on a Saturday, four games a day on the Sunday. Like that's the sort of, just because it's not paid that well anyway, but obviously yeah. enjoy it as well. But yeah, sorry, carry on. That's all. No, no, but I was going to say it's like, um, and if these referees stop coming, which obviously is a problem because there's not enough referees at the very top level. They you see it all the time on or you hear it all the time on the radio. They're talking about they need referees, they need top referees. Yeah, and referees are dropping out of the game in their you know teens, late teens, early twenties because they probably get a lot of it has got. To, Surely got to do with the amount of abuse that they're taking and the attitudes. Um, yeah, and also and the introduction of the Simbin idea as well, like to try and yeah. eliminate that a bit more from the game, which yeah. obviously has done quite well. But... but the other thing as well is the coaches doing the refereeing themselves, they get fed up of it by the time they get to under 16s of ref in their own matches because, yeah. because of the attitudes of these teenage kids and because of the coaches and the parents. So they don't want to do it themselves, they understand how difficult it is. But yeah. yet they seem to forget and perpetuate the ideas to their like their players, yeah. and it becomes a problem. Yeah, massively. Absolutely. Like, yeah, hundred percent. So, do you um, do you think the FA is doing enough to kind of protect grassroots referees and punish offending teams and players? Because I know, like, at least a couple of times every season, I read in papers or on social media about, you know, a few horror stories about referees being insulted or chased yeah. into car parks or, you know, being beaten up. I'm not saying that that happens all the time, but it no, does but happen a couple yeah. of times a season at least. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one really to say, like, if the FA themselves are doing enough. I think 
from the perspective of reducing abuse and trying to understand the role of the referee, I think they are doing a lot with regards to education of that. And I think the Simbin was, in retrospect, a good a good addition to that to try and reduce the dissent levels. Um, the issue is, grassroots football is so brilliant because it has the inclusion of anyone. And that, like we said earlier, actually, like right at the start, I think where we said, like, you know, everyone can be part of social media, but the problem is everyone can be part of social media. Similar with grassroots football. Um, and you will get people in there who have got a lot of issues that necessarily haven't been ironed out and probably shouldn't be into it. Um, I do think that this isn't like a diss at the FA at all because it's not something that they can do. But I do think that clubs themselves should be doing more about it and clubs should be taking it seriously um, and they should be investing in ways to safeguard everyone not just referees but their you know maybe it's opposed, sometimes opposing teams or spectators and things like that whether it comes down to you know paying for a CCTV system around where their changing areas are or the vicinity of the pitches and things like that Obviously, that's not something that's free, but at the same time, like if that's what it takes to make people feel comfortable to come and watch, officiate, take part in a football game, because at the end of the day, grassroots football in itself is to do is just for, you know, it's to introduce people to the game and it's to show them how good football can be and how much you can enjoy it. It's not there for people to be assaulted and called names and actually be afraid to go to a certain area of a town because of a thing that's happened to them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I haven't mapped that, that part of Blackpool since it happened, and that's, what, five years ago, six years ago now? Um, like, deliberately made an effort not to go near it, and that's not okay. And I recognise it's not okay, but I also know that, you know, carrying on from it. And I think, yeah, yeah I, I do think, obviously, it's that thing where, like, <laughs> shy of, you know, paying for every place to have CCTV and, you know, doing really but yeah it's a really hard thing to sort of figure out and maybe i'm not the best I'm definitely not the best person to ask about it um ideas wise but i do think that the clubs themselves have to have an onus i'm going to link it back to rugby again like in rugby spectator finds like salford salford red devils uh, had a fan who lit a flare dropped it on the floor next to them and stamped it out at leeds at their leeds game a couple of weeks ago this was at leeds all fans have been searched prior Salford got the fine for that fan. Not the fan, Salford. That is what I think needs to happen. You know, clubs need yeah. to be responsible for their own and it needs to happen more often. It happens all the time in rugby because, and then it stops. It stamps it out a lot quicker. In football, it's very wishy washy with that. Um, yeah. right. I do think it needs to be a lot more like regimented in the sense of this is not okay. If, this, if you think this is okay, this is not for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I Sorry, think, that sort of went off. <laughs> no, 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 you're right. I think, yeah, it get kind of, and it kind of gets lost when you, even with things like racist abuse and stuff like that, like yeah. UEFA and FIFA, a very, very, you would perfect expression, wishy-washy. The punishments and they're never consistent. Nope. They kind of, they only ban nations or. They find clubs if they really, really have to. And yeah. it's been like brought to the attention of like the worldwide media by, you know, players or teams or whatever, maybe yeah. or social media. Whereas it should be like a swift action and that nation that, should be 
held responsible or the club and they should kind of because people will soon weed it out if if the team is being punished and you know if in the case of like repeated offenders of racist abuse if a team has to play their games behind closed doors or they get deducted points the other fans will police their fans yeah. because it's affecting exactly. the team's performance. Exactly. And there was one word you said there that I think is really key as well, and it's that's it's swiftness. So many with UEFA and things and FIFA especially, like you'll get these racist remarks, for example, or homophobic comments or things like that. And it's like for some reason it takes them three months to make a decision on it. Yeah. I'm not being funny, but like things like that. If if you want to set a precedent of that is not okay, you need to go, This is not okay. We are responding to it in this way and we are responding to it now. And I get the whole idea of wanting all the facts, but I'm not being funny for a worldwide organisation. Like, that's not okay to be able to do it in three months or three weeks. It's got to be, if you want to set a precedent that this is not okay, you need to be able to act quickly. If it means you have to invest more in resourcing to make sure that you can investigate it quicker to ensure that you've got a fair outcome quicker, sure, do that then, because that is what needs to be done. Because otherwise you're just saying, well, you know, well, yeah, we'll have a look at it and we'll sort of see what it is rather than this is not okay we are investigating it we will get back with a decision within two days because we are looking at this 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 and this we take it very seriously there will be a fine for this club because it's we we have evidence that it is from this do you know what i mean and i think i just yeah. think it's lost in it's, it's they're trying to not offend people by being so strict on it but at the end of the day like would you rather offend the perpetrator or would you rather disenfranchise a whole minority who might have been subject yeah. to that abuse who then don't feel safe you yeah, know absolutely. i was like <laughs> so you're saying that oh it's okay to call ashley cole um when that was that because that was a big thing wasn't it was it ashley cole who had the abuse yeah, at chelsea it was, it and it's like and i'm pretty sure that was his own team as well his own um fans potentially and it's like so you're telling me that for three months this player has to go out and potentially go oh okay that's not making them feel safe and secure. Corners and throw-ins by the same fans. Exactly, They've yeah. got season tickets, so they've got to go there every week. 100%. Stand yeah. five yards away. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, elite levels of the game. Sure, like, where you have got all these resources, you've got cameras everywhere, you've got CCTV. At grassroots, you can sort of go, okay, fair game, you haven't got that much evidence. I can kind of get past it. And it is word for word. But, like, that is, that's just not okay. And it then reverberates around to, like, well, anyone else, a person of colour who might then go, well, actually, do I really want to be a part of this? Do I really want to put myself yeah. in that potential situation? And I know if it was me, like, with regards to homophobic abuse, I've not gone to games because I know of things that have happened in the past for that reason. Like, it's just, yeah, it baffles me sometimes how nonchalant such large, well, the biggest footballing bodies in the world can be to such serious issues. Oh, yeah, they're, they're uh, head in the sand springs to mind. Yeah, like the ostrich. Is it an oh, ostrich? Yeah. Yeah, ostrich head in the sand. Isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. So, um, okay, let's move into wrestling then. Yeah. Sorry, um, we may we've may have took a bit oh, of a detour right. to get there. Sorry, <laughs> detours everywhere. So, uh, obviously, up until recently, you've been a, a wrestling referee, as you mentioned. Yes. Which, again, I got to say, is really cool. We uh, we'll talk about why you are no longer a referee in a second, but yeah, foot, footy ref, wrestling ref. I think it's a bit both, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, definitely best seat in the house. Like, crikey. Um, yeah. 
absolutely best seat in the house. And you know, I always it always makes me smile because um, I did the Progress World Cup show um, in 2018. Obviously, it's the World Cup year of football, and Progress is the World Cup show. And um, I was speaking to Glenn beforehand, and I was like, "Yeah, no, I am actually a legitimate football referee." And I know that they put that on commentary and stuff like that as well. And it just made me smile because it's like, in my head, I always think like, you know, the um, I, I don't actually watch South Park and never had have, but I just remember the clip where it's like, respect my authority. <laughs> and it's just, I think it's from South Park anyway. And it just, every time I just see that meme in my head and I don't actually know if it's offensive or anything like that to anyone because I don't know any of the context of it, but it just makes me smile because that's sort of in my head how I probably yeah. look to most people by having like football referee, wrestling referee. And it's like, it's like you have this like law and order sort of fixation and i'm like yeah fair game to be fair what it actually means is I'm, just really, I'm just really bad at both football and wrestling so can't do it so i'm just like going <laughs> for the next best thing and just going for refing because you know it's kind of you know because then you can be a bit of an horrible person and be like no that's not in the rule book <laughs> so um You've worked with some of the biggest companies wrestling companies in the uk and you know rev yeah. pro and progress massive companies um uh and we talked a bit about the you did training uh from you know like a young age you were involved in wrestling when did you sort of start training to, into taking like basic bumps and stuff uh day one day one of training um i think i said this who did i say this to i said it to someone recently after the whole um debacle that caused twitter to implode a little bit um but literally, like every every week that I went to wrestling training, our warm up not not like training, our warm up was on mats that were probably a, a centimeter thin in a stunt school in Morecambe. We would do a hundred back bumps, fifty front bumps, fifty side bumps, so like falling on one arm and the other arm fifty times. That was our warm up. That was before we got anywhere near the ring or anything like that. If they, and I said this to the same person as well. Again, I'm trying to remember who it was now. It'll come to me later. If there is one thing in wrestling that I'm very comfortable doing and I'm very confident in my ability to do, it is bump safely without any issues or injuries. Proven because there has only been one injury I've ever had in wrestling. Two injuries I've ever had in wrestling. One is a mark that I still have on my leg, which I can't lift up at the minute because my back is hurting like anything and my spine because of everything. So I can't actually lift it up and show you. But basically, I went over the ring backwards, uh, over the rope backwards, sorry, like a clothesline to the outside in a training match and someone had left a dumbbell outside just outside the apron and my knee and my shin went clicked on that and i've still got like a big scar on it from there my my nasty leg was gushing with blood gnarly finished the match though even though it was training that is the only other that is the only injury i've ever had in wrestling obviously like been winded here and there but that's about it um yeah so if there's one thing i'm very confident in it's my ability to fall very safely um and protect yeah. myself when i know situations are prevalent too yeah um so there's a reason obviously that we're discussing the fact that you had training to take basic bumps yep uh, <laughs> there is also uh so for people who are not aware if there's people who are interested in wrestling and not aware i'm not sure but there we go there um, might be there might be so, uh may never know, know. yeah Wild. get the scoop <laughs> <laughs> So a couple of weeks ago, uh, was it a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, uh, two weeks tonight as we're recording this on the Friday. To be honest with you, probably yeah. about two weeks tonight at the same at the time that we're currently on as well, give or take. I see, that's that's a bit of you, isn't it? Yeah, I did um, actually in some ways. First time I've actually talked about it publicly as well. Like, 
since. Oh. So it's kind of weird. Well, apart from obviously the tweets, but yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on anyway. And, uh, oh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Sorry. Tangent. So, yeah. So basically, what happened is uh, you were refing a tag team match. Yes. And uh, there was a finish. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was you weren't supposed to, or it wasn't supposed to be the finish. Uh, and the but the pin got counted uh, one two three, and then one of the competitors gave you a I've forgotten what the move was now. Scoop my head, I should scoop slam I think wasn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. Which you weren't expecting, you weren't prepared for. That wasn't um, like an agreed part of the show. Yeah, um, basically, what he has said afterwards is that because the finish wasn't as planned, he was thinking on his feet um, to yeah. try and, you know, sure there was no kind of uh, confusion within, uh, from a spectator point of view. Yeah. Uh, so he wanted to sort of create something. Um, yeah. And he obviously, he, and he, I'm just going from his statement, obviously he apologised yeah, and course. said he shouldn't have done it without permission because... You know, I I not involved in wrestling, um, and I would imagine that one of the rules is generally don't do moves on people who are not expecting it. Well, that's, that's when accidents can happen. Yeah, it's an interesting thing you say that as well, like about rules, because realistically, like there isn't as as ironic as it is that I'm a referee. Um, there is no, as far as I'm aware, um, outside of any major company, there is no governing body. There is no code of conduct, no code of ethics that any wrestling promotion or you or entity outside of potentially the main worldwide global ones who are regularly on television and pay per views who have code of conduct, code of ethics. They might not have. I don't know. Like genuinely, I haven't got a clue. But I know that there is no governing body for wrestling. In no, all- I think. And I, and, I, and I think one of the big thing, the issues with that, is resulted in what has obviously happened yeah because what i was going to say actually is obviously there's obviously been talk about unions within wrestling for since i can remember <laughs> decades now it's got to yeah, yeah it's gone on it's forever and there's this reason and there's that reason for not you know there is or there isn't and you can blame whoever you want for the reasons but i mean if there was a union yeah for employees and wrestlers do you feel that it would have been uh dealt with a different way or do you feel like it would have been would it you know maybe it wouldn't have happened at all i don't know it's because yeah, there would it's, be, it's if there's a union there'd be rules in place like written rules uh or guidelines or whatever it may be yeah um i think it's tricky to sort of say like something never would have happened because you know not to be crude in any way but like actually it relates to the podcast you said you recorded earlier with um a politician like there are many many laws on knife crime and it still happens if someone wants to do it bad enough they will um obviously that's a whole big conversation about obviously if if there's enough and stuff um but uh, it's it sort of is one of these things where I feel like it could have been dealt with in a different way, definitely. Um, like over the last sort of couple like weeks since I posted the original statement, I have I've literally only been on Twitter probably twice 
uh, once yeah. was to actually tweet about the fact that I got my job. So I was all right financially and just to thank people about sending me some donations on PayPal. And the second time was literally I just spent a couple of hours replying to the ridiculous amount of DMs that I got, which was overwhelming on so many levels, like um, amazing. And like, yeah, but like, um, like, so this hasn't actually, this is, this is something that I haven't said publicly at all, but like, I did make an effort to stop this from going public. I spoke to the promoter on two separate occasions. Uh, I spoke to the promoter, I've told him that I remember speaking to him on two occasions, so I'm not telling you something that I shouldn't tell you. Um, I made an effort to try and speak to perpetrate, one of the perpetrators twice over the weekend as well. Um, the result wasn't what I, I um, anticipated it would be, so to try and diffuse situations, I sort of moved away from it. Um, and that's something that I've had a brief, I've had some brief messages with them on social media, but we are um, going to actually have a proper phone call at some point. We've just, we've talked about that. Um, just, I haven't had a chance to at the minute because I've been hectic yeah. with trying to, with job searches, interviews, inductions to new jobs, physiotherapy, GP appointments, x-rays, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just been a bit of a hectic week. Um, yeah. My brain's sort of gone a bit blank now, but like I do think that there has to be something in place to stop this from happening, and an educational culture needs to be derived. Because the one thing that has actually upset me the most about the entire situation is not the fact that I no longer can ref- like referee wrestling at all, and the chances of me ever going back to it are very slim, just simply because of the impact on my shoulder might separate it completely, even if once recovered. Um, the issue I have is. And the disappointment and sadness that I have is how many people who are performers who wrestle did not discondone what happened until very clear footage emerged that was from a fan cam, not even from the promotion. I'm really disappointed that so many people think it should have been done in private when it was and nothing was done. And then it took me going public with it for something to be done. Like, and it wasn't my intention to make some something a big deal out of it. My intention was, I just wanted to put out that I wasn't being able to ref anymore. And to set, and my intention was, right, I can't be able to reply to like the same ten people who would probably ask me why am I not refereeing anymore. So I thought, right, I'm just gonna be open and honest, tell you the facts. This is what happened. This is why I'm no longer doing it. And then that <laughs> a few other people than the. 10 people I expected to actually interact with it and here we are <laughs> just over a week later with it going a bit bonkers and hopefully, and this is the one thing I really hope does come from it actually considering the fact it blew up wasn't intentional as lo- if this never happens again or someone is never put in the position that I was put in again that is okay with me um, not that I'm trying to be a martyr or anything like that, I'm really not but I suppose that's literally the definition of the word but I just feel like the way things were dealt with was very much an, and I hate the term old school mentality, but it's it was, and not just old school wrestling, but old school society where they think it's where it, where it was believed it was okay, and it was justified yeah. because wrestling. Um, it's not. It, it wasn't in any way, and yeah, it disappoints me how many people, even at my age and slightly younger, who were involved in wrestling as performers, wrestlers. Um, thought that it would still be okay to do just because wrestling and just because maybe the um, intended finish of the performance that was the match 
wasn't straight to plan. And I'm very much an advocate of having contingency in place for that in future. And I think it's something that really needs to be discussed and made prevalent, whether not just at shows, not just on social media. It needs to be happening in training schools. People need to be taught this is not okay. The only way that the world moves forward is with education. I'm a very strong believer in that. And this means that how do you get educated in wrestling? You go to a wrestling school. So wrestling trainers need to be making sure that their students know this. They need to know that it is not okay. Um, I had a lovely message, and I hope he doesn't mind me calling him out for it um, in a nice way, is from Rishi Ghosh, who runs Quality Wrestling Academy down in the on the south coast, um, just outside of Haven. And he is fantastic as a wrestler and a performer. He's a brilliant coach, I can tell you that as a fact. But he's someone who I respected greatly. And like he was telling me, he was just talking to me generally about things and asking me how I was. And he was saying like how, you know, it needs to be taught in school. It needs to be taught in wrestling schools that taking liberties with someone isn't okay. You know, we're all taught how to do a, a standard back bump or front bump, but no one ever really, no one really gets taught. Well, actually, this is what to do in a situation like this. Um, yeah. In a nutshell, yeah. too long didn't read. Needs to be more education in wrestling. Yeah, no, I... injuries. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I think. Uh, a contingency plan where if something happens where the finish is, uh, for lack of a better word, ruined from what yeah. it's supposed to be, or it's having, or whatever. having yeah. yeah, it's just or so it, an injury happens during the match. So yeah. that, that Which on the same show that literally happened, <laughs> the tag match prior to the one I was on, literally. So it's having something in place, isn't it? Yeah. Whether it, whether it's someone else running in or whatever it may be, to, to to make sure the show can go on without really the the audience becoming massively aware of it. But yeah. You can also, not in the situation which you were put in. So obviously we've discussed... But like, sorry, just, be- just before we go on about that, like, I'm not trying to suggest... I'm what I'm saying was, I'm not trying to suggest that as a contingency plan, every promoter needs to, or every uh, performer needs to go well, if this match doesn't go 100% to plan, we will have this person run out and this person will do this. I'm not trying to say that, because that I don't think is actually a feasible idea for a lot of the independent promotions that are run in the UK and around the world. What I am saying is we need to have that contingency where actually things do go wrong and things do change, and we need to have the ability as an industry to be able to respond in the moment. You know, wrestling is praised so often and... Um, brought to the forefront because it is the only form of entertainment in the entire world that exists that goes directly off the audience reaction and can change in the moment, apart from maybe like stand-up that's um, what's the word? like (laughs) Improvisation. Yeah, improv. Um, It is the only thing that can do it and on a national and international scale, it's the only thing that can react to it. Um, you know, you talk about like the Daniel Bryan yes movement, you talk about so many things like that that would not happen had it not been for the groundswell from a very live reaction. What needs to, like, there needs to be more discussion and education, again, this is a key point, education on what to do in that situation. And it's And it shouldn't be, you know, I'm very lucky in my own, my confidence, my own abilities to go, if something does go wrong, to be able to take control of the situation and go, right, okay, this, this, this. More for injury, because I've had to do that in a couple of occasions because of my medical background and 
being able to treat people medically and with first aid and things like that. What obviously happened wasn't um, an, an, an injury at all. It was just something, it was just what happened in the match. Um, I hate the fact that I had, the reason I'm like annoyed that I had to go public about this is because I do like trying to, you know, like, I hate the word, like, you know, but like protect the business sort of thing. Because, you know, I, I do think it is sort of like magicians are a magician's sort of code where it's like the, a magician never tells the secrets. That's sort of because that's how I got into wrestling originally, like I said earlier, as this idea of it was a magic trick. But at the same time, when it's when this illusion is resulting in injury, serious injury, in um, discrimination, and when, when this illusion is masquerading itself to the point where victims are not feeling prepared to come forward because they are the ones who are going to get the consequences of the actions taken, not the perpetrators. Let's be honest about it. The reason I went public and the reason I didn't really care about the fact that I went public was I can't referee anymore. If I burned every single bridge with the tweets that I put out, it did not matter. But that's not okay. That shouldn't be okay. It should be that, you know, I would have felt confident enough to go backstage and go. So the phrase I used to someone in a private message who'd doubted me on the fact that I went public about it was. And I said to that person, shy of screaming in the face of the promoter, this is not okay. Take it seriously. I genuinely do not know what I could have done that weekend to make the incidents that happened pub, um, taken seriously. I, I genuinely do yeah. not know and kept it privately. Um, like I said, I didn't actually intend for it to go public in like the sense of a whole viral thing that it was, but at the same time, like it's this this culture within wrestling about like you know the boys and everyone protects each other, and that is brilliant. It's a brotherhood, and I agree with that. What I don't agree with is when that becomes an obsession to the point where they're like, oh, we can't say anything about this, we can't say anything about this. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, that is why before when I said about how I was so disappointed that so few of them actually wanted to come out in support of this and actually support the fact that it's not okay. At the end of the day, right? Let's 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 you know let's put cards on the table here. How many um, touches of young children were exposed? Was it about a year ago now? Eighteen months ago? How long were they doing that for? Some of them probably. I think it again. This isn't a fact, so I'm not fully sure, but I'm pretty sure it was over five years from what I was told. Someone knew about that. There is no doubt in my mind someone knew about that. Why is that okay? Why was that allowed? Because of the culture that exists within wrestling for some reason that everyone has to protect each other irregardless of how ridiculous and disgusting their actions are. And that is not okay. That might have flown in the 1970s when when they were trying to protect their business because it was still presented as a legitimate sport. And I'm not trying to say that there are not legitimate, incredible athletes in wrestling. There are, and they are probably some of the best in the world, bar non-athletically. What I'm saying is, at the, at the grassroots, of, at, the, at the bare bones of what wrestling is, it is still a performance. And it is still trusting your um, opponent, people that you are around, whether you are crew, filming it within vicinity, you've got to be able to trust, at least in some form, whether you realise it or not, the wrestlers not to come and kick you in the back of the head without realising and cause you a concussion. The referee has got to be able to be there and perform as a referee without having to think, what do I have to be trained because something might go wrong? I was trained, by the way, in case you're wondering, James Castle. Yeah. Um, just just in case you didn't get my tweet. Um, there are so many things that could be avoided and should be avoided, but aren't because of this. Arch- and it is an archaic, and I will use the word archaic, it's an archaic mentality. Like I said, it may have flown in the 70s, doesn't fly now. 
Just because it was okay 10 years ago doesn't mean it was okay now. 10 years ago, I don't think I was able to legally get married in the United Kingdom because I'm gay. Now it's legal. That shows things change because we realised as a nation that was ridiculous. Things change because they are realised to be wrong. And if one thing comes out of this, I hope it is that people realise this boys club, and I hate to use like just like boys, men, etc. But that's just like the um, colloquial term yeah. for it. It's not trying to dis be disingenuous to the incredible female talent that is out there and non-binary transgender talent that are out there. Um, we need to get rid of it. It's not okay anymore and it should be moved forwards. Every other industry is moving forwards with this in some form or other. Why is wrestling not? Wrestling is meant to be this um, celebration of diversity, inclusiveness and presenting everyone. It's a, it's a circus show of everything that's great in the world, bringing it together in a mishmash of professional stunts that take you on a roller coaster of emotions why is that okay to do that in front of an audience but then when you take it back to the performers we still have this mentality from the 1980s 1970s where you know we have to pretend that oh you know he's just he's just kicked someone in the face who didn't deserve it well that's okay we can just we can protect that that's not okay um and i do think that you know wrestling has not moved with the time so far not at an independent level anyway I can't speak for yeah. any major company because I'm not part of a major company. I'm not part of that many independents either. But what I can, the, the one independent I will say that I have got the most respect for um, and feels like home to me is Riptide. Riptide Wrestling in Brighton. At Riptide Wrestling on Twitter. They are probably the best promotion I've ever come across with their regards to safeguarding welfare, being sure that even performers are safe and included and the spectators as well. Having a medic on hand at all times, a full floor, not even a medic, a proper doctor as well. Having enough first aid and safeguarding and welfare checks. That is incredible. And that is what should be an industry standard. It shouldn't be that I go, they are the best at it and it's incredible that they are. It should be that I say, actually, yeah, that's another promotion that does that. It's brilliant. Similar with the medical. Sorry, I'm very, like, I'm not trying to rant. I'm oh, not, yeah, right. But at the same time, like the medical situation, the medics and doctors who should be prevalent at shows, that shouldn't be commended. That should be a grand, that should be fundamental when you're putting your yeah. body at risk. Um, obviously, the whole we the independent movement in itself is fantastic for the inclusion of workers' rights and things like that. And I agree with them on that extent. Where like we need to stop praising these things; they should be taken as standard, and we should be calling out the BS when it's BS. All I did was call out BS that's BS, and yeah. that that is all I did. I called out BS that should not be tolerated, and it's gone. And people have these opinions on them. It it was wrong. It should if and the thing is as well, right? I'm not trying to reference the fact that you know if a finish goes wrong or anything like that, you do not physically involve yourself with someone without consent. Consent to anyone who does not know and is not aware. I will make it very very clear. Yes, I consent. That is okay. They have consented to whatever you've asked them. If it has not had that, they haven't. And it is really as simple as that. It is as black and white and that. There is no grey area for consent. And if you believe there is, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Objectively. Um, and, you know, it, again, it goes back to the thing. It's just wrestling. It's what wrestling does. No, it's not. It's not. That's not what wrestling does. It might have been what wrestling did, but it is not what it should do now. It should be better. If we want to make an industry that is seen as a farce to so many people and doesn't even get recognition under, you know, is it an art? Is it a sport? Right. If we want to seem less farcical to people, you have to make the effort to make it less farcical. It is a farce that people get away 
with criminal actions and we're potentially going to have that swept under the rug. That is not OK. And, you know, I might get flack for saying that and exposing the business for it. I don't care anymore. I don't have any reason to, to not care. I'll burn every bridge I have to if it means that people don't have to go through this again, that spectators can go to events and pay hard-earned money to go and watch some incredible athletes perform. And no, actually, do you know what? They are incredible. They are incredible performers who can do incredible things, but they are safe. And I am safe in my seat. My welfare and my safety has been thought of and gone for. That is what I'm advocating. What I'm advocating is I genuinely believe, have we, do we have something where wrestling needs to be modern? Wrestling needs to modernise itself and realise that consent is key. Consent is fucking key. It's not hard. And yeah, no, that's, sorry for like going on a bit of a tirade there. No, 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 you're right. I, am, I, am really I wanted to let you talk. Yeah. yeah, no, I wanted to let you talk. Um, the other thing, well, what I would like to do now is just... Um, just clarify a few things with you, ask you a couple of questions, cool. just to, um, some of them, but just stuff that people have thrown at you on social media and stuff. But cool. just as we're talking about it, I think it's a good way to do it. The other, first thing I wanted to say is, um, we obviously discussed the, the, the back bump you took, which you weren't expecting, you weren't ready for. Yeah. Um, it wasn't part of the show. It wasn't consented to beforehand. Um, and then following that, um, obviously, I'm only going on the the video which I've seen, which as you said is a fan footage. Uh, the other participant, or the other tag team partner, for the from the person who had done the first move on you, uh, outside of the ring, I think he kicked you in the head, uh, punched you, and clubbed you repeatedly. Um, I, I honestly can't remember my off the top of my head. Yeah, so I know, and that's why I'm trying to sort of yeah, fill no, in I, what I I've seen, seen, seen with I, my own eyes. Yeah. Um, so obviously, there's t- to me, and I'm assuming you. I don't know. I'll ask you now. But there, there is a big difference to what the first thing is and what the second thing is, because the first thing is a guy, from what I can gather, uh, from what he said and from what it looks like on the video, at least, it seems to be a guy trying to uh, keep the show going, if you like, and think on his feet, shall we say. Whereas yeah. the second thing is just outright assault. Um, yeah. There's no reason for it. There's no, they're not working uh, punches and kicks. They're, you know, it's violence and it's assault. That's, that's my opinion. Um, so one of the things I wanted, to, one of the things, I just wanted to fill that in because when we first talked about it, we only said about the first part. And I feel like the second part, is you know it was a lot more aggressive and violent and i didn't want that to get left out no uh, i agree obviously both you know both things uh were out of order both things were uncalled for and as you've said uh with what you said about consent that's vital the second thing is a whole you know different story um so the the owner um, I know you just touched on this slightly, but I just wanted to clarify it, really. Um, yeah. The owner of uh, Rev Pro says in his statement that the first he knew about it was your Twitter post. Um, but obviously you just said that you tried to do it in private and spoke to him uh, yeah. you know, at least a couple of times to try and do it privately. Um, yeah. Can I ask why that didn't end up privately and it ended up going public? Yeah, so... This is something that, so me and me and the front of Revolution Pro, we have spoke on the phone. Um, 
it's not right for me to say what he said because that's that's on him to tell that's on him to say i know what he said in the phone call but again if he wants to share that that's up to him as far as i was aware i made the promoter aware of the situation when i spoke to them about the match when i got back um for whatever reason this just wasn't clocked you know for whatever reason i i don't know um i then so i was meant to referee Friday show and a show on the Sunday. On the Sunday, I was set by the promoter to referee two singles matches, a six-man tag match, and another singles match. Two of those singles matches were from both wrestlers of the tag team who did what they did. Okay. Um, when I saw that I was meant to be refereeing these people, bearing in mind it is a performance at the end of the day. I went to see the promoter in front of other people. There were other people in the room and said, I'm not comfortable and I'm not prepared to referee those matches. To me, making that concern clear that I'm not prepared to referee the matches with those individual people because of actions that were taken um, is very clearly having an issue with it. And okay, even if I want to play devil's advocate with myself and say it doesn't get sorted that day, but then there's, you know, follow up to it because it's a serious situation on the next day or the next couple of days. I can kind of see that. I told the promoter, I do not agree that that is that the first opportunity that they had to understand how I felt about the actions that were taken on the Friday was in my tweets. I told them that and I don't mind telling you that because yeah. that, that is the truth. I genuinely do not think that is the first time that they saw it. I'm not trying to say they're a liar. Um, they may have their own reasons for believing that they didn't, you know, cross communication or whatever. But I genuinely believe that prior to the, the tweets that I sent out, that was not the first occasion of them knowing something was not right in some way. Yeah. Whether they knew the extent of it, I don't know. Yeah. I, but as a promoter of a show, I do believe that you have an obligation to understand um, what is going on on your show, and if something that happens that shouldn't happen happens, you should probably have a bit more of a check on that. I'm sure yeah. there was a check, a, a longer check earlier in the night when an injury occurred in the tag team match before the one that I did to check on the welfare of the performer because something went wrong. I'm almost certain that that happened. So I don't see why the situation is different for me. Maybe it's because I'm not a wrestler. Maybe that doesn't justify me to have any sort of, you know, check. Um, yeah. Sorry, was there a second part of that question, or did I just rant about it again? No, 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 that's <laughs> fine. Um, the, um, the other thing I was, was going to ask you about is, I, this part, the timing of this part, I'm not 100% sure on, because yeah. uh, basically, the way I took it in, in terms of reading the tweets, Cool. I saw the statement from the owner and the statement from the company. And then in the replies to said statement, there was a screenshot of, uh, I think, I think, I don't, I'm not in, on Instagram, so I don't know, him, but I think it was an Instagram message which said something along the lines of, don't worry, I've got your back between the, yeah. I think, promoter and one of the perpetrators. I, I know now, what you're referring to, yeah. Um, as far as I'm aware, that screen, um, as far as I'm aware, that screenshot was taken as a screenshot from an Instagram story presented by one of the perpetrators who had screenshotted a message from a Facebook chat. That's what I'm right. aware of. 
at the current time i haven't spoken to anyone else about it so i yeah. couldn't I, I don't i don't feel comfortable commenting on anything about that yet because i haven't spoken yeah, to people the one thing i've prided myself in in this whole situation has been presenting facts the reason that i'm probably the calmest out of most people in this situation is because everything that i've put public is a fact and i can prove that this is a fact i have not lied or over exaggerated or anything like that i i like the re there's, there's one thing i put up and i can remember it because I, when i wrote it it meant a lot to me because i've read it somewhere as well and that is that being civil and presenting facts will always win over people who scream, shout, and call all these names and lie. I know that what I have presented online is factual. And I know what I don't currently have are any factual evidence, any facts to understand the screenshot that you're referring to. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is something that I would like to follow up with and yeah, find out more facts it's... about it for my own peace of mind more than anything else because you know it's <laughs> well because of the content of it, yeah isn't it? because of the content of it and i'm it's sure it. if anyone listening to this hasn't seen it that <laughs> you'll find it it's <laughs> yeah it wasn't it's very everywhere. quiet on the internet this entire event so um you will find and... it somewhere i'm sure but until i have facts about the full facts that i'm that i well any facts that i can get I, I I don't want to say anything about it because I don't know and I don't want to misinterpret anything or, yeah, it is something that yeah, again, of course. I do wish to follow up but in between physiotherapy, GPs, etc, etc I've been a bit of a busy bee this week with all that stuff so it's been a bit tricky to sort of stay up to date with everyone <laughs> I think yeah, it's yeah. yeah, I think that's, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's been a very busy time for you and a stressful time as well um I've saw, seen a lot sorry, of people. Sorry to put you off there. Just with regards to a stressful thing, like I have, like I will say that, like I have been completely overwhelmed in such a positive way with like the amount of messages and things that I've had, uh, whether it's on my private social media pages or the uh, my Aaron Wild Twitter account. Like it's it has blown my entire mind. Like I plan to go on and like like I said, I think I, said, I don't know if I said this off air or on air to be honest, um, but. I said that, like, I've only been on my Twitter account twice since I made that statement. Or three times, sorry, because I, I deleted a tweet and put something on. And then I went in to reply to James Castle. Then I went, no, okay, I, I completely lied. I think it was four times. Third time would have been to reply to DMs. Yeah, so yes. it's three times, sorry. Um, so on the third time when I went in, just, and I literally, I only looked at, like, those tweets when I went on. I didn't even look at anything. I didn't look at my DMs. I didn't look at my mentions. I didn't look at the timeline or anything. Uh, the third time I went on, because I was like, right, okay, I just want to check DMs and, like, because I didn't know who'd messaged me and I didn't want it to, like, if it was friends who I only had on Twitter, I wanted to make sure that they knew that, you know, my physiotherapy had just started and that my recovery, albeit a long, long road that it's going to be, according to my physio, um, is on its way um, and that I'm optimistic because I'm a determined, stubborn person. But, yeah, so when I went onto that Twitter account, like, the amount of messages that I had of support just honestly like broke me to tears i literally was i planned to do it for about an hour because i was like i don't know how long how many messages there are i ended up spending about three and a half four hours just replying to all the dms that i had and like that's insane to me and i just want to thank again everyone who who may listen to this who may not who may hear it wherever like the support has meant the absolute world to me because like i said i've just been presenting the facts and to actually have that like as a thing has meant it that <laughs> What has been a horrible, horrible couple of weeks for me, to be quite honest with you, emotionally, 
um, has been somewhat less somewhat less horrible. So yeah, sorry, yeah. I just wanted to say like thank you to basically no, people no. in case they haven't seen it or anything or don't know if I've said it or not. But honest to God, thank you so much. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, no, that's fine. You 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 can say whatever you want, mate. The um, I will stop grilling you now, mate. And say it's just like no, last couple of questions, and I just want to clarify it for people who might be listening and watching and. You know, some people will be obviously following what's been going on. Yeah. So I feel like it's a good opportunity for you to clarify anything, especially some of the stuff which, like they said about the training. Um, people have obviously they've criticised Rev Pro for the slowness of their reaction. Yeah. Uh, because it was quite quickly clear to the fans, at least, what had happened, and the video emerged. You know, it was. Yeah. Clear. And the original statements that were made were just proven to not be as true as the statements I made. Yeah. So how do you feel about the way um, that the company reacted in the week after and did, did the ultimate punishment for the two perpetrators? Um, I'm not going to lie and say that my original, that my first instinct was don't let either of them work ever again because I don't, I don't think that it's fair. That came from a place that was obviously for me. I was in very bad place at that point. Um, and as much as I try, as much as I'm not angry, as in like I am angry, don't get me wrong, because I absolutely love refereeing and I can't do it anymore. But like, I talked to the promoter about everything, and they did. You know, I will give them credit where that where it's due. Where they did speak to me about like what they believe should have been done, and we compromised on a couple of things. Um, they will obviously do whatever they want to do because it's their company, it's not mine. Um, I'm very much a believer of education. As we said earlier, prime school trainee, education is the only way that world, the world is going to get better, whether that's with regards to mental health, stigmatising or wrestling and making people aware of things. And if it means that this situation educates enough people I'm kind of okay with that. I don't know how that works with regards to like going forward. Um, honestly, I don't run a wrestling company. I, yeah, I it's a, it is it's a really tricky situation for me to say no. Neither performer should ever perform again. I know one of them will not be performing for Refro in the future. Um, I do support that. Seeing the actions that were taken in a video. Um, yeah, I, I don't know because again, it, it sort of what happened was not consensual in any form. Um, only the persons involved will know if it was for any malicious reason. I will never know. I can be told things, I'll never know. Um, what they do is up to them what people individually believe is up to them as well whether they wish to support that decision or not is up to them that's not on me um i just know that what i've presented to everyone has been facts and then i hope that people can then have their own independent thought because i think that's the beauty of you know humanity in itself is we can all have independent thought and justification in our own heads and when presented with all the facts so i hope that so that is why i hope we've presented all the facts that then whatever I believe is sort of moot. I, I hope that they will 
look at all the facts that are presented, whether that be video, written, etc., and then make their own decision on what they believe should have happened. If they believe it's the wrong decision, then refuse to support it moving forward to, to show that, because that's the way that the business works. Um, if they do support it, then continue to support the promotions, the people involved, etc. Um, with regards to that, though, I will say, like, I have been made aware of, like, some abhorrent things that were said on social media to the people involved. And whilst what they did was, yeah, bottom line wrong, I never agree with people, like, using obscene language or using bullying terms or just, you know, being horrible about people. I think it should always be done with civility and facts. That's what I was saying. That's what I try to do. I try to be civil and use facts. Um, yeah. I think I think a lot of the time it's very easy for people to forget that at the other end of that screen is a real human being who has real feelings, who may have been wrong, but still has real feelings. And I think civility and being honest and using the facts is the best way forward. Um, and I'm really thankful that so many people did use the facts and did do it in a civil manner so that it was not just, you know, a, a screaming match of, of man screams at cloud and use obviously yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. But yeah, sorry, I really tangent it around that, didn't I? Oh, you're right. <laughs> Um, in the in the company statement, they said that they'd like to work with you maybe in the future, even if you can't referee. Is that something you can see, or maybe other companies, or are you do you think you're done with kind of wrestling as a whole? Um, honestly, at this moment in time, I can't. I don't fully know. I know that I love wrestling in itself, and I know I've been around it long enough to love the behind the scenes aspect of it as well as hate it at the same time. Um, I do believe I've got a lot of skills that, you know, I have in my life that could be very applicable to wrestling and could work very well and be a, a great asset to anyone who wanted them. Um, but to be honest with you, until at the minute anyway, like my sort of focus is on my physiotherapy and making sure that I can sit in any position for more than five minutes without having like agonizing pain in my spine or being able to lie down for more than two minutes without not being able to sleep for 12 hours because I've got that much pain in my shoulder and neck. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. So, yes, I can see myself in future being involved in wrestling. Whether I will or not yet, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think that's a fair statement. I think, like, like I said before, it must have put a huge strain on your, on your mental health, both in the immediate aftermath you know, of the match, but also following your post again, because that would have obviously been a whole load of other emotions. Yeah, I, like still, haven't read, I still haven't read all, like, I still literally haven't even read a timeline or um, mentions on, on my account yet. So that's going to be a whole whirlwind, I'm sure, at some point as well. <laughs> yeah, that'll take a few days, I think, mate, to be honest. It was uh, quite Fair a enough. lot. But, um, you know... I have to be honest, everything which I saw on social media was largely positive, you know, with backing you, condemning the people involved. Um, you know, was there... I can't put this. Was has, Have other wrestlers or people from backstage reached out to you since, uh, you know, like RevPro have got rid of the one guy and kind of acknowledge that what you've said is factually correct, even though there was a video of it, which still baffles me that it took a week for them to decide. But, you know, 
there we go but have, have you know have, has, has, since then has the have you had people contact you like from you know backstage or other wrestlers or um backstage yes or the wrestlers no that's like a slight white lie i've had probably like two or three wrestlers contact me um who i would consider quite close friends anyway so yeah. i don't know as much as there's as their wrestlers than friends um okay. i've had a few promoters contact me uh who i've currently worked well currently worked with at the time um and previously worked with which meant the world to me um and a, and a few like crew members and things like that uh but yeah no it's a, not disappoint, really dis- disappointing That's... no very few wrestlers um, sad. in contact and not that i'm saying every every wrestler has to you know message anyone who gets hurt on a show or anything like that far from it i'm just thinking that maybe with how prevalent this became in the world of wrestling sometimes silence actually shows more than speaking about something and i do genuinely believe that history will remember you for your lies and your silence and they will forget you history will not remember history will remember sorry those who did speak out of it and were a positive change in an industry and i truly believe that and i truly believe that if you didn't speak out about it and you have a reason for that that maybe you know you you think I'm wrong or whatever, that's 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 sort of the personal choice, but I, I genuinely believe history will remember you and history will think you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, think so last question because I just I just thought of this question actually. Yeah, cool. So do you think those people uh from like other wrestlers say, uh do you think they haven't contacted you because uh they, I don't know, think you've kind of made like a big deal of it or whatever, you know, whatever their reason may be. Or do you think they haven't contacted you because you made it public? Uh, maybe a bit both. I don't know. I'm, I'm not them, thankfully. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, I, I realise. No, no, I didn't mean that in a bad way at all. Like, it's, it's just sort of like, I, I think that as a whole, like, we talked earlier about this whole idea. Well, I ranted on earlier about like how you know there is this whole like the boys, yeah, or, yeah, you know, and that's kind of what I was getting. Is... Yeah, and this mentality where they all work together, and I think that that definitely had a big impact on it. Um, it's it's very interesting to me to see how many people would talk out about it had it been the opposite way around, as in like had a wrestler come under this situation as opposed to a referee um and had <laughs> well without being maybe too sort of tongue-in-cheek let's be honest about it if you criticize if you if you don't talk about if you criticized potentially the promotion involved or any of the wrestlers involved they have a lot more influence in an indus- in that industry than i will have whether that be financially or with connections or anything like that. And I'm not saying that as a negative to um, the performer and promotion. 
in the sense of that people won't speak out because they are who they are and, and stuff like that. I'm saying that's a negative to the people themselves. Grow a backbone. If you yeah. if you truly think that you want to, if not necessarily specific to my situation, but if you want to work in a in a environment that maybe did not, you know, represent your ideals and things like that, and actually follow basic welfare checks and things like that, I, is that really a place you want to work? And I'm not saying this about RepPro or anything like that. I'm just saying like literally like. I will call out what I think is wrong because I think we have a moral obligation to do that because that's how things change. Um, would you, if the, right, so for example, say the same incident, exactly the same incident with exactly the same footage and exactly the same statements from the promotion had happened at promotion much smaller and who ran much fewer shows and with a, with performers who had much less experience and, um connections within wrestling does the same level of silence from performers who are wrestlers still happen in my opinion no it doesn't that's again that's my opinion that's not a fact that's you know that's a conjecture and it's purely a conjecture from me but that's something that i believe um if someone can prove me wrong factually please do um, actually, no, please don't, because I don't want this ever to happen again to anyone. So I'd, I'd rather not have it in the same situation. But yeah, call me out for it. Send me it's, a um, <laughs> it's interesting, though, because uh, I think I think it was last year or maybe the year before, uh, Rosemary and I think it was Sexy Star had a kind of thing where Sexy Star injured Rosemary by doing some legitimate moves. Yeah, uh, I remember she like was that. slammed like by everybody, yeah. you know, and rightly so. Don't get me wrong. Um, so why was it, you know, it happened with these two re- ladies, wrestlers? Um, obviously, you know, they're well, very well known names, the pair of them, but it was still a situation where, yes, it was in a match, but. It was not a planned spot. She didn't have the consent to do the move and ended ended up injuring Rosemary. And if I my memory serves me correctly, I'm sure she had quite a not uh, like a quite you know quite a substantial injury. Yeah, um, I um I'm not fully sure about that situation. I, I genuinely can't remember much about it. I mean, I it's tricky when you say within the context of a match because obviously, like without drawing back like too much of the smoking illusion, like. It's very rare that every single moment of every single performance yeah, of the match yeah, will be scripted yeah, and worked out. However, that's got there is that level of trust and professionalism involved that means that don't be a dick <laughs> um, yeah. and don't take liberties with people physically. And from what I remember, again, this is again from what I remember and it's conjecture because I don't have many of the facts for it, is that liberties were taken in that situation that should not have been. So yeah, I, I agree. Is is, and that's the thing, like. <laughs> stuff like that gets called out and i don't i don't know if it's happened again since hopefully it hasn't like as in like performers taking liberties with each other um with wrestlers etc um for any reason i i don't know genuinely because yeah Yeah, but but it's one of those things like if it happens once you know shame on the person who did it if it happens twice shame on the industry for not stopping it again yeah um because that's the obligation they should have. They should be able, that that should not happen, you know. Sometimes it does have to happen once for it to stop, but 
it happens a second time, then, ooh, girl, you've got to make sure that you stop it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully, with some education and some awareness, this this type of thing will never happen again. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and let, let, let's be blatantly honest, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. No, um, I agree. Unfortunately, I agree. it did, um, especially for you, because you're now dealing with the, you know, the aftermath, the injuries uh, and such, and not able to referee wrestling, which is something which you really enjoyed and, you know, were doing well at, by all accounts. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it sucks, but, like, at the end of the day, like, I'm kind of at this point now, and I sort of got to it quite quickly of, like, at the end of the day, what's happened has happened, and I can't change it. Um, there's no point in me being bitter and jaded about it, and no post on social media, no talking to you now is in any form of, from a bitter, jaded perspective. It's just simply being honest and, you know, calling out the wrongdoing and calling out what's not right and shouldn't happen. And, you know, I've... I'm, I'm an optimistic person. I'm trying to be a positive person and but quite upbeat and friendly and, you know, quite happy. And, you know, as much I, I could wallow in self-pity and lock myself away for the next six months as I recover and stuff like that um, until I get back to anywhere near this, the level of physical well-being I was before. But there's no point in doing that. It's not going to achieve anything. It's not going to make me feel better or anything like that. You know, I've, I've got to look at it on a... Not positively in the sense of like, yay, this happened, but like, I've got to look positively in like, right, okay, well, this has happened. What can I do about it? Okay, well, I have these skills that I have that I could potentially get involved in wrestling again if I wanted to. I have, you know, I have a full time job now that I can put my focus on and learn new things with that and apply a different trade that I've not, you know, done in a long time slash ever really. Um, I can spend more time at the weekends with my lovely three spaniels that I've got. And it's just trying to take something that's very very negative that could be very easily taken as a bitter jaded you know screw everything why me why me but there's no point it's not going to get me anywhere got to look forward always damn right to why our eyes are at the front of our heads indeed <laughs> so um thank you mate for being so uh, open and honest and i know it's not it's difficult it's, i know it's been like a horrific few weeks for you and i appreciate you being willing to talk to me about it and uh, i had i've had a lot of fun talking to you obviously the last part was not as fun but i you know i appreciate you speaking about it and i appreciate like the rest of the show was loads of fun i had a good time um yeah me too tell the uh, tell the people where they can find you on social media even though you're not using the account at the moment you uh, oh, um, oh, social media. Uh, literally, uh, just on the Twitter machine at the minute. I have an Instagram, but I'm really bad, and I think I've forgotten the password. So it's just Aaron Wild at A A R E N because I'm weird. W I L D E. That's on the Twitter machine. Uh, I post memes, dogs, bit of environmental stuff. So if you think climate change is a myth, don't follow me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a good fun time. Indeed, <laughs> and uh, you can follow us. On Twitter at AceCast underscore Nation, Facebook.com slash AceCast Nation. And uh, yeah, give the video a thumbs up, tell us what you thought. That is my doodle from the past video. And uh, you should put that on eBay now. <laughs> Signed and delivered. Mm-hmm. And yours. Yeah. Thank you, uh, thank you, Aaron, and thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next time.
Social Podcast Network.